Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the B2B Marketing Podcast. My name is David Rowlands, and I'm your host today. And I'm joined today by Cara O'Neill, who is the Global Marketing and Communications Director at Euromonitor International. So, Cara, thank you very much for joining me. Um, firstly, and most importantly of all, how are you today? I am doing very well, David. Thank you. Excellent. So um, before we go any further and get into the big sort of marketing questions, can you just tell us a little bit about your journey in B2B and your current role and challenges as well, please? Sure. So um, I suppose I've been in a kind of pure B2B role really for the last um, 15 years or so. I actually started my career more in the B2C space, um, albeit in financial services, um, which has really been the, the, the kind of bedrock, I guess, of my career, um, more latterly in payments. Um, and then after 10 years in payments, decided I fancied a bit of an industry change to see if B2B marketing is different, uh, you know, on a, a, another side of the fence, as it were. And so I've joined Euromonitor. I've been there a year now, um, and um, which is a kind of uh, market research and global business intelligence business been around for 50 years um, I currently have a uh, international team um, of 45 people and you know running across everything you would expect within the marketing and communications remit Mm. And uh, we were talking off air um, just just a few minutes ago about the sort of crazy world we now find ourselves in as, as a marketer. What do you think is the sort of big challenge you're facing right now? For, is it something to do with the cost of living crisis, something to do with the ways of work? What What do you find is a big roadblock in the way you like to operate? I think probably we are, for the first time in a generation, really in a perfect storm of all of these mm. things right now. So um, whether it's the kind of you know, instability in the geopolitical landscape, whether it's coming out of COVID and all of the, the changes we've seen to our life, but also the way that we work, um, you know, whether it's cost of, of living crisis, you know, all of these things are touching all of us, um, you know, in different ways. And so I think as, as marketeers now, and I think certainly, you know, as someone who's been in marketing all of my career, which is now coming up for 30 years which is quite terrifying um i think honestly hand on heart this is the first time i've seen all of these things kind of come together in this way and of course as marketeers we're kind of on the front line of this stuff you know how we respond to what is happening in the wider world as well as you know then aligning that i guess with the the, the companies we work for and the objectives that they have you know this is the first time i've seen all of these different strands really come together in the way that I think they're presenting now. And I think, you know, also just to add that the the, the pace of change here is something that now is at kind of light speed and just seems mm. to be getting quicker and quicker and quicker. And certainly, you know, a lot of the marketeers I'm talking to now are like, this is exhausting. How do we keep up with this? How do we... Um, be effective, I guess, in in these spaces where we used to at least have a bit of time and now it feels like we're having to respond pretty immediately to all of these challenges. Mm, such a difficult thing to do. So I, I don't envy any marketer, but hopefully we can find the solutions together. Um, you know, in less mature organisations, I think it's fair to say marketing is often seen as a cost centre. You know, here's, uh, you know, here's a million quid, go out and have fun, go and create some interesting campaigns and make us look good. Now, of course, the world has changed a lot since then. And we know that marketing has the power to be the main growth driver of any organisation. So with that in mind, how do you think that marketing leaders can go about transforming the perception of their department to the board and the business at large? 
So I think the first thing is obviously really understanding the maturity of your organisation. Mm. Um, so, you know, obviously you've got more of a job to do in that particular space if your business is either new to marketing in some way, shape or form, or if perhaps their perception of what marketing is, is actually wildly different to the mm. world of marketing as, as we know it today. So I think starting with this reset on what marketing is and what marketing isn't actually is really important. I, I still find it amazing how many folks um, and even those in mature organisations actually think marketing is a few brochures, some sales enablement materials and off you go marketing, do a bit of colouring in and, mm. and maybe have a nice lunch with a journalist. You know, it, it, it is so kind of far from that. And I think, you know, the first thing is this education piece around, you know, what marketing can really do. The next bit then is really, I think, understanding the language of the business that you're in mm. um, and the language that the board and the exec team will, will kind of respond to. And it's about learning that language, I think, and framing then your your kind of world in a way that resonates um, with those folks. And, and sometimes that language is very numerical, very sales oriented. Sometimes it's much more focused in on products and value proposition. And sometimes it's brand led. Mm. Um, so you've got to understand what resonates, I think. And then it's about once you know how you're going to tell that story, it, it's about aligning that with the reality of your business. So what is the investment and resource strategy? How can marketing play a role in that kind of growth piece but you've got to be realistic about the role mm. of obviously your what you've got to kind of play with and I think also marketing leaders have a responsibility to go to the board and say you know this is what we can do but we are dependent on so many other parts of the business and I think sometimes we're not clear perhaps enough about the dependencies that we have within a commercial organization so you know sales tech product you know marketing is this kind of um this place where we pull those different functions together i think that's also important and then finally you know sometimes as marketeers i think we are uh not great at showcasing where we get success um but doing it in a way that is clear and concise and understood and can't be accused of kind of being woolly or marketing mm. speak. So even just starting with a simple dashboard that, you know, your board know is coming each month. It sounds really obvious, but I'm still amazed, you know, how many marketeers don't think in those terms. So I think those are just some things in terms of how you could start to transform that perception mm. uh, of marketing. Do you think part of the challenge as well is that marketing historically didn't always have a seat at the table and in less mature organizations it often still doesn't and yet for marketing to be done really really well you actually have to have quite a lot of say in the business you have to be able to work really closely with sales and you, you need to demand that respect and if you can't get that that sort of equal footing you're never going to su succeed as a marketer so do you think that's sometimes a challenge for people i think it is and i think um actually I, I was listening to a podcast that, that Shane Redding was doing actually mm. the, the other day and this um, discussion was happening around the role of the kind of chief revenue officer and how that role is kind of usurping the role of the chief marketing officer at, at the board table. And I thought it was fascinating and, and also kind of very relevant. Um, it does feel like marketing is that one place in the business where you really have to fight for that seat at the table and 
you know, that kind that that it's not about the level, actually. Um, it is about are you then able to influence the people in the business who are ultimately going to help you to be successful mm. in your role. And so very much I think about it as those kind of access points. Where are those access points in the business where I can build those relationships and influence so that actually then it do, does it really matter if I have that seat at the table or not? I, I think insisting that you are part of the discussions around commercial priorities and product roadmaps as a minimum is something that marketing directors and would be CMOs, but maybe there isn't a CMO position. Mm. Um, you know, we, we have to go into battle on that stuff um, because there are certain things that become a real barrier if you don't have access to those, how can you build a truly, a true kind of growth marketing strategy and one that is going to deliver the kind of results that you want if you don't have access to those people? A seat at the table is the easy way mm. in some respects, but I still think, you know, cunning and wily marketeers will find ways of building those relationships outside of that boardroom regardless but you know it, it, it can be it can be again this perception thing it can be a real barrier yeah absolutely so uh, we touched upon um you know the economy the cost of living crisis what all of the horrendous uh, not fun things happening in the world right now um and unfortunately i think it's fair to say that as the economy continues to sort of trundle along and budget cuts do seem likely in a lot of organizations often those cuts are going to happen to the marketing department, which is obviously a real shame. So how do you think that marketers who are potentially, you know, in the in the, the firing line, um, unfortunate as that may be, how do you think they can demonstrate the value that they're bringing to their organisations right now in the short term? So I think first and foremost, you've got to take a step back and look at what you're doing and be realistic and clear about what short-term marketing activation can really drive for the business, whilst also trying to continue with that juggling act that we always have, you know, around those initiatives that are going to ultimately drive longer-term value. And so it's about being honest about kind of where you sit, I think, in, mm -hmm. that, in that balance right now. But in a world of budget cuts, I think marketeers also have to be really visible and vocal about the value that they bring beyond this perceived view of being a cost center and therefore it's easy mm. to kind of go after marketing and and make those cuts and so i mean there are a few things that are, that i've been thinking about in this context i think the first thing is about housekeeping so looking at all of the things that you spend money on today um and things like for example your martech stack you know take the time to evaluate and think about how you could potentially optimize that. Mm -hmm. Are you really using everything to its fullest potential? Are there legacy things that perhaps you're, you know, you haven't kind of freed yourself on? Um, and if you can, if you can free up budget there, then hopefully that can be reallocated into short-term kind of activation activities. Um, I think also taking the time to look at your processes and becoming more efficient and effective, whether that's your lead management, your lead scoring, um, you know, how you're sort of driving relationships with sales. I think, you know, that that is a short term thing that can drive some long term benefit. Um, understanding your content value, um, what's really working, why. 
and, and making sure you can build some short-term strategies, I think, around effective content. Um, mm. And also, I think your website, you know, that's something where you can make some short-term changes um, that can have immediate kind of impact. So, you know, and, and, and then the, the, the kind of softer things, are there you know, influencers, advocates, partners, um, clients that you can work with to drive some short-term initiatives with with relatively little or no cost. Mm. And so I think, you know, whilst nobody likes to be at the end of a budget cut and, and marketeers, you know, it, it happens to us quite a lot. I think it's about being able to evidence it's an opportunity to evidence better creativity um, and, and going beyond just thinking about very short-term tactical things i think there are other things that sit around the edges that can ultimately drive some short-term value as well absolutely and i think the key word there is opportunity so it might not be uh, the most pleasant time um, but you know there's always ways you can position yourself better for the future so we've looked at the short term let's look at the long term now what do you think that marketing leaders can do to continue to transform their departments into real growth drivers and like i say away from that cost center uh, that we, we hate to hear i think you know some of this is about where you're showing up kind of in the conversations that are happening in the business and this continuing education around why marketing is a growth driver and not a cost center and for me that starts very early in the conversations that happen in a business so the way in which you're able to best demonstrate your value and the, the, you know, your ability as a function to be able to create growth, I think, starts in those early stages when initiatives are being created. Mm. So whether that's being, you know, spun up by sales, whether it's something that's very product led, I think it's about making sure that you are in that process early where you can easily evidence then the value that you can bring and the growth opportunities that you can service uh, you can surface because you know if you're bought in late which quite often happens again mm. with marketeers it's a real frustration you're kind of there sat there going well if i had been bought into this you know two three months earlier we could have done all of these things that actually would have driven some meaningful growth but now the time horizon is so short you can't do that so i think that's really important I think also, you know, being honest about what your growth marketing dollars are kind of doing for you. And so, you know, the question I think for me, certainly right now, as I think about what I'm going to do going into the next financial year, are those dollars better spent growing existing customers mm. versus acquiring new ones? And again, this is, you know, very much down to where your business sits, I think, in that kind of you know, um, value that you get from your existing customers. Um, but, you know, in a subscription business, for example, there may be some really cool things that you can do around automation, around renewals and saving on kind of, you know, sort of resourcing costs. I mean, again, those are all things that that demonstrate value and also, you know, contribute towards that growth. So I think seeing growth beyond an immediate ROI on a marketing dollar is really important. Mm. It's about evidencing where you're thinking about growth in those wider terms. 
Yeah, very wise words indeed. So just on that note, um, it's worth just saying to our audience that as of the 1st of April, um, our experts on Propolis, our community intelligence platform, um, are going to be creating a plethora of technical content, which is all centered on the broader theme of how to recalibrate marketing and sales to drive success in a challenging economy. Um, So I won't waffle on about that now, but if that's something you'd be interested in learning more about, we'll leave a link in the description and you can learn more about that and uh, Propolis in general there. Um, but Cara, moving forwards, um, you know, when we do talk about marketing delivering demonstrable value or growth, I think the mind often, or certainly my mind, jumps to things like you know, demand generation and lead generation. And there's obviously absolutely nothing wrong with either of those things. You know, they're, they're critical to any marketing strategy. But I know that you're personally keen, uh, or very keen, not to let brand building fall by the wayside. So why do you think brand building is so important? So, yeah, as, as you've rightly pointed out David I mean you know I started my career in the kind of brand and communications arena um, and you know the last sort of 10-15 years for me have been much more in this kind of lead generation demand generation space um, but for me and I actually love the name field work that's been done on this mm. this um balance between short-term sales activation and longer-term brand building I think is so important and the way I talk about it in the business is the importance of kind of having this steady drumbeat if you like of marketing activity that is is very much about you know who you are what you're solving for that kind of educating piece that reason to believe that trust Um, And the halo effect that that then has on these shorter term sales or product led initiatives um, that have very clear kind of targets set against them. So, you know, I think it's brilliant that that Bino and Field have talked about, you know, and, and really gone deep in the evidence that shows short term campaigns perform much better when they are optimized in the context of wider brand building stuff. And and I think also, you know, if you look now at the data around how far um, the customer journey goes in that kind of B2B funnel um, without having any interaction with a salesperson until you get right to the very end of that process, I think that further evidence is for me that, you know, the, the, the job that we have around brand is kind of more important than ever to, to get that long term value, to um, make sure that the shorter term campaigns have some kind of sustainability. And to be honest, the brand gives your customers a reason to believe. And in an ever changing world, I think continually reassuring, educating, trusting All of that's important and we all need to keep evolving our brands to reflect these changing kind of times in terms of business and human expectations. Mm. Do you think the, um, you know, the the beauty of having a really powerful brand as well is that you're not just, you know, it's not just great for your current customers, but you're, you're, it's almost a shortcut for anyone else who's looking to purchase your services because the second they see your name, they immediately associate you with, whatever it is you want to be associated with uh, speediness um thoroughness um value whatever it might be so in many ways having that great brand it's like you're getting more barriers out of the way for any potential customers would you agree with that yeah definitely and this is when i when i talk about education it is early on in that engagement with your your prospect your potential customer it's knocking those barriers down so that 
and, and this is how I love to talk to it to salespeople because it's like, look, marketing are doing the kind of hard yards for you, right? Mm. We're going to put all of those things up there and visible and upfront, and we qualify them and we give evidence of of why you should trust. You know, the, the, uh, almost that permission piece around why we're able to operate in this space. Um, we're trying to get all of that out of the way, you know, and again, coming back to my early statistic, you know, about 90% of that we're trying to get out of the way as, as kind of marketeers. So for our sales colleagues, all of those kind of objections and um, perhaps questions around your brand should be kind of answered through that. So, mm. so yeah, you know, I think whilst it is slower burn clearly and whilst it is sometimes difficult to give that dollar metric in terms of roi um i think there are places now where you can show the impact of brand building on your specific campaigns and you know the value of your brand i think now is is more important than ever in in making sure that you know you're really upfront and clear early on in that process about who you are and what you stand for mm. well let's talk about that because you know to your point brand building is important but it's really hard to prove you know it's difficult to put brand equals x amount of money in a dashboard it, just, it doesn't really work that way that said ceos and, and the board are not going to take that for an answer so in your experience how do you think marketers can prove to the board that investing in brand is is worthwhile and therefore have the confidence to go out and actually invest in brand in the first place i think all of the things that we've talked about just now david i think it's worth initiating those kinds of conversations with your board and and showing that stuff in you know evidencing that and you know if you've got a business who still believes that the way to engage with prospects is by picking up the phone to them and cold calling them. I think there are a myriad of things that you can evidence to, to show that there are more effective ways of kind of building your brand in those early funnel stages than picking up the phone and going, hey, I've got a really nice thing I think you might want to buy, right? Um, so I think, you know, being quite upfront and clear about you know, the way in which the world has evolved and actually looking at B2C and and asking people to think about their own experiences with brands and reasons why they buy from them. I think sometimes it's easier for people to think about that from a consumer perspective mm. than actually making that leap sometimes into into business. And as we know, at the end of the day now, it's all about human to human. It's, it's not really about B2B and B2C anymore. So I, I think that's one thing. Um, but I think this is also can be where data is your friend as well. And finding places where you can show the impact of brand building activity on specific campaigns or initiatives or interactions. So I don't know, um, something like the impact that a press release maybe has had on um, traffic to your website or engagement on the site. I know that sounds kind of, you know, pretty basic, but actually sometimes that's kind of where you you need to start and and getting people to be to be comfortable that a proportion of your budget, as I said, may not have a direct and immediate ROI. Mm. That's an important kind of education piece. And if the business isn't used to investing in brand and has just grown through kind of acquisition or, you know, perhaps just creating an international footprint, I think you may need to do some small isolated things um, where you're combining 
the longer term, the, the brand piece with that kind of that sales activation piece um, to prove out the value of what you're doing. So, you know, again, I think I think there's this generic kind of education piece, but then mm. I think you've got to prove it out with your data and then you've got to prove it out with some campaigns that will reflect yeah. this as a strategy. I mean, it's interesting. You mentioned B2C in there as well. And I guess that's part of the problem as well is you're not just competing against the brands that you're, you know, your natural competitors in your space, you're you're competing with B2C brands, like, you know, wh- whatever it is, Adidas. Um, I can't think of a single B2C brand now, but you take my point. <laughs> um, and it, because of that, you know, it demands that B2B brands are just as exciting, just as interesting, have just as much powerful stuff to say. So, yeah, I guess that's another challenge. Do you agree? It is. And, you know, you only have to look at the role that social media plays in everybody's mm. lives now. We're demanding that we are entertained all the time. And so, yeah, this is this is the real challenge, I think, that as B2B marketeers we have, you know, where we were able to be the kind of more sensible, staid, you know, slightly conservative with a small C cousin to B2C. Mm. And the perception being that they were doing all the fun, sexy stuff on the consumer side and, and we were kind of having to, you know, sort of sit behind the, the, the kind of corporate face, if you like. And I think now, you know, that has really kind of turned on its head. Now, you've got to be careful because you don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole and suddenly seem disingenuous or not true to actually what you're what you're what you're selling. But I do think now, you know, it's um in terms of like competing for attention, mm. absolutely, you know, how do you, if social media is part of your strategy, how do you get cut through as a B2B business when the B2C brands will outspend you by a considerable amount of money? And whilst you're not directly competing necessarily with these B2C brands, you are competing for share of attention. Mm. Um, and, and that's a really difficult thing to kind of get some cut through on, I think. Yeah. So I think a, a broad kind of theme of this conversation today has been around transformation, you know, transfor- transforming the perception of marketing, transforming the amount you invest in brand as opposed to demand gen and so on. So let's say you've taken a brand new role, a new company, um, and the marketing department is really immature. The organization doesn't really know what marketing's there for. And whatever they do use marketing for, it's that old school PowerPoint parties and pens department thing um so on a strategic level you've just walked through the door um how do you go about auditing what needs to change and and what doesn't so i suppose this is a bit of a special subject of mine as i've i've probably done this um i guess four times over the last sort of nine years or so Mm. actually um and whilst the companies are different the levels of maturity are different the spends are different the teams are different actually the process i go through in those few, first few months is largely the same. So I think the first thing is 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 not to rush. Um, mm. Take the time to really understand the business, understand the role that marketing currently plays within that organisational structure and the general level of maturity of marketing within the organisation. Um, also, get to know your products and services really well. Mm. Spend time and I well identify and spend time with those key stakeholders, both inside and outside the business who will help you. Um, time with the board, the exec team is really important. And I think, you know, again, honesty is a big part of this. And asking in particular the question I, I always want to try and get 
a handle on is what is the delta that exists between what the board or the exec think marketing is and should be doing Mm -hmm. versus what marketing actually is doing in the business and then finally build that picture of what you think marketing should be doing to deliver against those business objectives and i always talk about this delta Mm. between those those different points and so being forensic asking for data to help you build that picture i think is also a really important part of those first few months um i would also say though and this is a particular challenge for me (laughs) in terms of the type of person that I am. I like to work at pace and understanding the operating rhythm of the business is Mm. really important. Um, And the different processes that sit behind that, whether it's how, you know, if how a purchase orders raised, you know, how long does it take to get things signed off? Do you have to build a business case for every single thing that you want to do? And, you know, that can be really hard to adjust to if you are working, used to working in a certain way. And I found this going from the businesses that I, I've worked in, particularly in the payments industry, which is really pacey, really quick, into something which, you know, is a little bit slower you know, has been around for a long time, founder led, you know, there are, there are different things that you you really need to adjust to. And and so being realistic about what you can achieve by when as a result of that operating Mm. rhythm is also really important. And then I think also really interrogating the budget and the appetite for investment into marketing is also really important. So this thing around, you know, be really honest with yourself again about not over promising. Um, in terms of what you'll be able to achieve because, you know, you you need that clarity around really understanding the budget and resource roadmap for the next two to three years so that you're not over-promising and under-delivering. So I think those are some of the things I look at when I first go in. Yeah, fair enough. Well, one thing we you haven't mentioned there, which I'd be interested to explore a bit more, is around the marketing technology that you actually use to deliver your strategy. Because I think, you know, there's so much technology now. Everyone has seen the the Scott Brinker infographic, which at this point is just totally illegible because there's <laughs> so much in there. How do you actually go about auditing what you've got and consequently, you know, rebuilding it and restructuring it in a way that's really set up to do what you need it to do? I think, again, it comes back to looking at where, where you're at with a really critical eye. And then trying to gather as much information as you can, not only within marketing, I would say, but within the sales team and and product, I would say as well. What are the tools that all of you are using collectively? Gathering that together and having a really critical eye over all of that. And sometimes just even finding out where all those tools sit is really difficult now. So, you know, I know that's something that, in my current role, you know, I've been, I think I've got a handle on it and then something else pops up and I'm like, well, I didn't realise we even had that, you know. So I've been keeping this kind of ongoing list, if you like, of these are all of the things that we kind of have. Um, and also going to your finance team, actually, and seeing what you've got that you're paying for that you may or may not be aware of. And then working out, you know, particularly with your sales tools, because there's often an overlap with marketing, what is really being used? Mm. What is 
was bought by someone two, three, four, five years ago isn't being used anymore and you could kind of you could you could turn off. And and also I think, and this again has been really important in my current role, understanding how wedded people are to using certain things. Um there is a specific tool that my team use for sort of project management. I'm not going to say what it is. Um, I personally absolutely hate it. I don't use it. I refuse to use it. My team love it. And I've had to kind of go, well, you know what? They like it. Their projects are kind of kept, you know, in one place and they know about the dependencies. I personally can't make head nor tail of it. But you know what? They're using it. Yeah. It's, you know, so I think, you know, I think, just trying to go about that audit piece is really important. Um, but then having that critical eye with your sales colleagues, probably with your product colleagues as well, and thinking about, right, what's fit p- for purpose? Where do we see these products are kind of or tools are future proofed? And then start to think about things you want to retire or you want to swap out and doing it that way. Yeah. So you weren't tempted to sort of come in and, and lead with an iron fist and instantly get rid of this workflow. I was with this workflow tool, I tell you, David, honestly. And still now everyone knows in my team not to talk to me about that particular tool because it's guaranteed to send me into a bit of a spin. (laughs) I'll ask more about this off air. Um, My final, final question then, and then we'll start to wrap things up. Um, you know, we've covered the technology, we've covered the uh, the perception of marketing in the organisation. Again, you know, you've come into a new company, you're, you're kind of taking stock of what's going on. When it comes to the people, how would you kind of audit that? How would you look to restructure your team to deliver the results required? So, I mean, this is where I'm going to give a shout out to B2B marketing, because I think one of the things, you know, that I know is offered within the kind of propolis program is that proper skills audit. Mm. Um, and it's actually great to get an independent view um, of, of kind of what's going on in your business. So, you know, for those who are in that situation and part of this community, you know, I just want to say that that I think is something that is, is really valuable to have that independent eye. Um, but, you know, if you can't kind of, you know, if, if you're not inclined to go at it that way, that is something that you absolutely have to do yourself. And I mean, um, I come at this both from a kind of skills perspective, but also from a strengths perspective. Mm. And one of the things I'm really big on early doors is doing that kind of strengths based assessment so that I understand both the skills, but also more of the behavioural stuff that's sitting in the team as well. And I'm making sure that I'm getting that balance across kind of strategic skills, communication skills, um, you know, uh, collaboration, those kinds of things. I want to understand the balance of that. I think also being quite forensic on the career paths that sit in your team and the role profiles and all of that, you know, kind of sometimes tiresome admin Mm -hmm. actually having all of that kind of put in place um and having an understanding of of those progression paths of those roles and how they sit today and thinking about how you might want to structure that for the future i think is an important part of that audit and and making sure you know as well that you have clear paths of progression for those different areas of your business so you know you may have a bunch of specialists in the team 
who don't have any desire to move into kind of management roles, leadership roles. Um, but you need clear paths of progression for them as well as those who want to kind of, you know, ultimately take your job. Um, but I think also then um, in terms of then thinking about how you structure things, um, I've very much had to come at that from through a kind of international lens um, as well as a functional lens. And mm. when you have teams who are in lots of different countries, uh, and especially if you have people who are in countries where the laws, normal laws of marketing maybe don't apply. So somebody somewhere like China, where it's mm. a very, very different landscape, you have to make sure that you build a structure and a function that is going to allow for those geographical differences, cultural differences, and actually operational differences. And 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 for me, you know, the way in which marketing is kind of working for us in China and Japan is very different. And so I've had to treat that differently. And I think finally, it's about making sure then you've got that balance. You're not falling into that trap of recruiting in your own image. You're recruiting for the gaps that you have, you're building for the future. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes that means taking a bit of a punt. Um, but I think, you know, all of those things are really important when you you come in and you start casting that eye across the folks that you've got in the team and then the, the, the roles that you want to build for and where those roles should sit. Fantastic. Well, I think that's a wonderful place to leave it. Um, just a very quick note to our audience. Um, the diagnostic that Cara was referring to there within Propolis is called the Marketing Maturity Diagnostic. And what this is, is when you join our community intelligence platform, um, you have the opportunity to essentially fill out this uh, this large survey, which helps identify the areas that you might perhaps need a bit of assistance with in your marketing team. Um, and then we help you to act upon that via a combination of training courses, um, interactions with our experts, and of course, lots of wonderful content such as this. Um, so Cara, thank you very much for joining me today. And uh, we'll see you again soon. Thank you very much for having me today, David. It's been, um, it's been great to be here. Anytime. Thank you very much and bye-bye.